It is good to be back and to be here with the word of the Lord. And I, I want you to look at Romans chapter 6. It's a sort of a jump-off verse. I'm going to speak um, beyond the verse, but this tends to be at the center of it. So Romans chapter 6. Uh, well, we might as well read from the beginning. What a novel idea. Um, and then we'll get it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I, I know that ends with a comma, but we could keep on reading. I'll, I'll finish there. And, and the word or phrase that grips me uh, this time is in verse 4, that we might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Um, I, I don't want to appear sort of corny here, but for the last days, we've heard it said over and over and over again, you know, a happy new year. And we speak of new year. But I, I don't know if you know what that really means. And I'm not being picayune here. This, this comes to the very center of our faith. New year. What does it really mean? There are words in, in the Greek language for new, and the one we're talking about here when we say new year, in most people's minds anyway, new year is the Greek word neos, N-E-O-S, neos. And let me carefully tell you what that means. This is not a curiosity. This is the foundation of our faith, neos. It means something that has recently arrived or has recently been given to us. And in that sense, it means fresh and new. In that sense, it's fresh. But it is not in any way in contrast to what has gone before. And so when you say new, well, it is new, but we've been here before. And so it's only a fresh, a new a recent repeat of what's been going on before. That's very important to understand that. It's not a newness that stands in opposition to what has been. It's not saying, well, that is was, but now with this new, it so was, we don't want it anymore. We discard it. It's of no use. This, no. Neos means there's nothing wrong with the past. We're just going to repeat it and we're being in a second chance to try again to make it better than it was. It's a new, fresh start to fulfill an old way. Um, I guess well, something we can understand very quickly. Um, 
I I know to look at me you might not think it, but my first car was slightly after the Model T Ford, and I didn't buy it as an antique car. It, it was um, actually on a second-hand parking lot, and um, I thought I got me a bargain. Um, well, that car, uh, let me put it this way, when I started it in the morning, I did it from the outside because we had a big handle that we put into the engine and turned it and turned the engine over. And that's how it began. Or otherwise, you rolled it down a hill and put it into gear and hopefully sputtered to life. And I see some of you on Zoom are nodding. You remember those days. Well, um, since then... Cars have greatly improved. Notice the word, improved. I remember when they, we had the first turn signal. Wow, we played with that for hours. You didn't have to put your hand out of the window to tell people where you're going. You, you could actually press something inside the car and it gave a light to tell you. People, that was amazing. And we pressed it and people run outside to see that he's blinking, he's blinking. This is amazing. Uh, and then do you remember we, we had radios in the car? What a novel idea. A radio in the car. And, and then, of course, when tapes came along, we had cassette players. Oh, yeah. And then. And then. Well, I look at my car today, and although it's very different from that first car I had, it's not. It is basically a gas engine, the same as that was. We've just improved it. And there's been moments along the decades when it's a big improvement. Others improved and then faded away because they were not what we thought they would be. And so we call it a new model. It's a new car. That means the car that we had last year is now old but it's still a car we can still use it uh, this is simply an improvement this is simply going with cars where we might not have gone before but it's not new we do not discard everything between here in the 1920s and, and say we don't want that anymore no it's all there in fact some people go back to those ancient days and buy them at an exorbitant price uh, more than i paid and, and um that's this word you see when you go past the car lot and it says new models you know 2021 models are here it, it means it's the same old thing same gas engine but it's been improved on that's the meaning of this word neos and so with the new year, we all get into that mode. Well, not maybe all of us, but that, that's the, it comes over all of the media. That's the meaning of new. It means January. It means this is a chance to reboot. We can start all over again. We can have a fresh, a new start. We can close the door on December and we begin anew. And a begin, we, we begin with resolutions because we've got to tell ourselves this is what it's going to be like as new. 
This is where we're going this year. And we make promises to ourselves and we make promises to loved ones and sometimes to the whole jolly world. We are going to change. I know, I know, I've been this, I've been that, but this is going to be different, I promise you. We're going to reset our sights. We've got a goal in view. We're going to become what we should be and ought to be and really sort of we want to be, but we're going to do it. It shall be. Because in so doing, we face our failures all over again. We look at ourselves in the mirror and face our failures. We know our weaknesses. But January brings on fresh hope for some reason. This time it's going to change. You understand. It's, it's January. So, so it's a new, it's a neos. I know it's, it's me. I'm still the human I was. But it's going to be different because that's new. And we have a, almost a, a reckless faith in ourselves. We announce it. This is what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen. And we believe we've got a super effort strength within us to do it. Everything's going to be different. Because new means one more chance to do it right. And of course this time we mean it. We're going to be proud of ourselves. We're not going to go around loathing ourselves or our weaknesses. So the lists appear. Of This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm never going to do again. Promise you. All the new rules I give myself to follow. Memberships at the gym soar into the thousands. We make written statements of habit. I I was reading something the other day. It was written in 1600 by some great spiritual pastor who said of all that he's going to do and his prayer is this and he's going to, this day shall be the beginning of understanding the scriptures, on and on and on, resolutions, promises. It's all going to happen because it's January and that's what we do in January. We're going to change our sleep schedules. We're going to get up early. We're going to change our eating habits. We're going to live with discipline. It's new. I'm going to emerge in February and March as an improved, a better model of myself. I'll be cleaned and polished and hopefully thinner. It's January, you see. That's what it means. It's new. And we've done it every January since our youth. And we repeat it every new year. Shouldn't that tell you something? It doesn't sound like it's working. But before I leave it, uh, religion takes the first place in this. They, They are more adept at this than even gym memberships. Religion lives... Religion is established in neos. That's the key word to understanding what we mean when we say religion. Only they don't have it as a membership in a gym. They call it revival. But it's the same thing. Other times they say rededicate. Same thing. You see, you've got to become the godly person you know you should be. Makes sense, doesn't it? You, You should, you ought, you must. Anybody with any sense knows. And so we sign up. It it bombards my um, Gmail account 
they come. All these programs, they've chosen me, I think, to think I need it, that you're going to read through the Bible in a year, and here's the perfect program. You're going to start praying as you ought to do, and we'll send you the helps. We're, it's a, sign up for it. This is, this is January. It's time to get up before sunrise and pray. Attend every service. Get involved in witnessing. It's January. You say this sort of thing. Yes, it's going to be done. I rededicate my life. I'm going to be the Christian I've always supposed to be. In fact, I'll join a group. You know those groups in churches. What do they call them? Accountability groups. And I'm going to confess my secret sins. I'm going to expose myself to my brothers who will now descend upon me with fervor to make sure that I keep my promises and I never do that again. Because huh. this time we're going to do it. We promise. We answer the appeal. We go forward. We say this prayer after the pastor. We mean it. I'm not, that's not a caricature. I was raised with that. that. That's how it works. That's religion. That's church, at least in America. And I, I think in the Western world. New resolutions, new rededications, they're the bread and butter of church. What would the church do if it couldn't have rededications? I'm very serious here. What would the church do if it couldn't continually call you to renew your resolutions? That's what it's about. That's why every Sunday it's the bread and butter. It's all about improving I'm, I'm, I'm not the Christian I should be. I'm not where I ought to be in God. And so I'm going to improve. And we move with agonizing slowness. Five steps forward, ten steps backward. And what, what's the goal? What is we keep on resolving? Is, is this vague goal of somehow repeating the life of Jesus by our own willpower. What would Jesus do? I don't have a clue. Uh, That only brings anxiety into a a, a miserable situation anyway. What would Jesus do? Try and be like Jesus. I don't have a clue what he would do here. Do you understand me? And I say again, I'm not giving a caricature. This is what religion is. Jesus is seen as the perfect. He's the unreachable person. And he's remote because he's back there somewhere, back in history. He's the new law. So we don't live by the law of Moses, at least we're not supposed to. Um, But we do live by the new law, the Christian law, which is Jesus who stands there as remote as the Ten Commandments. Try and be like him. And of course, the church has something that the gym doesn't have. That's what makes it so powerful. Much more powerful than the gym. I mean, the gym can give you a bit of guilt if you don't show up. But the church can threaten you with damnation if you don't do this. And that's pretty powerful. And then they give us the formulas to spur us on. So it's a life now of shame and fear. If I don't do it, trying to be bolstered up by faith in my own ability to change. And I say they call it revival. 
But revival really is further New Year resolutions. That's all it is. And so I've had invitations from churches, come and preach our spring revival. I couldn't do that. (laughs) I'd I'd blow it out of the water. (laughs) Spring revival. And of course then they say, well, can you come to the fall revival? I guess we've all fallen off the wagon somewhere in the summer. Um, the revival no that just means keep on piling on the resolutions and saying God I'm going to try again I've got a fresh start it's neos it's the newness Uh, and and revival then has to make us feel bad about ourselves before miserable so we'll go forward and say the prayer again make all the resolutions and start all over Neos must have resolutions to make the system work. Flesh needs it. I've got to repair myself. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to achieve these impossible goals. If I could ever think of being close to God, that's where it is. And, And I say, that's a caricature. That is, the whole system is a caricature of what life in Christ is about. It's worse than a caricature. Because you never arrive. Really, where, where in religious system do you arrive? It's always when you, if you, resolutions again, you see, it's neos, it's we'll, we'll have another go at this. That's all we do is have another go at being a Christian. We never get there. What would it be like if the pastor says, well, we've all arrived? The church would be out of business. You've got to keep people under shame. You've got to keep them guilty because that's what religion is about. And if you make a resolution, you've got to keep on making resolutions to stay there. But did you notice, the? I've spoken about neos, but neos is the same as New Year resolutions or religion. It doesn't make any difference, which is, is interesting You could be an atheist making New Year resolutions, which is exactly the same as a person in church making resolutions to be more like Jesus. Same basis. It's neos. That's the word. You do say nothing about my past. My past is, yes, I just failed a bit, but we're going to try again. Same model of improvement and same spurring you on with guilt. Same thing. And both of them, in the gym membership and in the church, it's great for a few weeks. Flurry of excitement. Everybody looks like what the church says a Christian should look like. But then, of course, after a few weeks, enough is enough. And we return to normal. And with returning to normal comes guilt. Big time. Worse if you're in church. Shame. Worse if you're in church. You're ashamed and frustration with your own self because this is all based on me doing my best. Neos is based on me having a fresh start. Do do you know what I mean when I say we loathe? And I use that term advisedly. It's a horrible word, but we loathe ourselves. We're disgusted with ourselves. Weak, poor self. You couldn't even do it. You couldn't get up 
before dawn and pray. What, 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 what's ever you, you cower in shame before yourself because you've failed one more time, just like last year. Not enough willpower. Not enough inner strength. I mean, that's, you couldn't pull it off. Your faith in your own faith didn't work. Do you follow me? That's all the work. The Bible calls it the work of the flesh. It doesn't matter where you find it. It's the same thing. It's an expectation in yourself. It's an expectation of your faith. And if you should happen to keep the resolutions, well, then that leads to Christian pride. When, when we're going to give testimony to, yeah, to what we've done. But of course, if we fail, it brings about the shame. I assume the identity that I am not enough. That's my identity. I proved it. I'm a failure. I proved it. And God, he's disgusted with me because he's the ultimate standard that I've been trying to reach. And anyway, if you kept all your resolutions to the Lord, what would you be? Just an improved person over last year's model. That's about it. Not much. Not much difference between you and any other religion who's got a moral code. Just improved. I'll tell you what you would be also. Tragically, you would have moved an extra mile away from what Christianity is all about. Did you hear me? When we keep our religious resolutions, we are actually moving away from the gospel into a, I don't know what to call it. But supposing we're all wrong, maybe that's the good news. The good news is everything you believed is wrong. Isn't that fabulous? That's the goodest news I've ever heard because it means I don't have to improve what I've been doing. I need to flush it down the toilet. It was wrong. Yeah, because the new that I find in the New Testament has absolutely nothing to do with a self-improvement program. It has nothing to do with any resolution. The words are not even known in the New Testament. They were all invented by religion as, as Christianity began to forget what it was. In fact, there's another word used in the New Testament. So neos, I've spent a lot of time talking about it because I want you to really get it. Neos, but in the New Testament, there's another word for new. And for your interest, it's kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. It means new. Ah, but just a minute, it's different. Kainos means new in in sense that it's never existed before. Well, that was true of neos too. But this has never existed before, but it stands as a radical contrast to everything that's gone before. So radical is that difference that it takes the place of what has gone before. Do you get that? Yeah. Neo says, well, it's new, 
but it's not a new that's going to be uh, confronting the old. It simply says we're, we're, we're going to try further. But Kainos is new, but it is so new. It is so totally other. It is so radical that what we've been doing before now, it's, we throw it away. We discard it. It doesn't count anymore. Kainos means a new that is actually standing in condemnation, if you like, of what we've been doing and saying, no, that's not the way. This is a new that takes place of everything we've been doing. So it is. And, and so everything we've been doing now suddenly looks old. And we look at each other and say, how could we have done that? How could we have thought that was the way to live? The old has become worn out and it's ready to be trashed. What is coming, Kainos, is now ready to take its place. Do you see the difference between these two words? And we, in the West anyway, when we say New Year, we're thinking Neos. We're thinking for a fresh start, a new beginning. But it's same old human doing it. Do you realize, I don't know, I said this to somebody the other day and they were absolutely shocked. Uh, I was taught it in school. Do you remember the days? I have to say that because I haven't seen it recently. But back in the whenever, do you remember you would write the date 2021 AD? Okay, God bless your nod. Is there another? Do you remember? 1900 AD? You don't? Okay. Well, we did. We did, yeah, in England, I guess. Um, I think I've seen it on monuments over here. Um, A.D., do you know what it, well, obviously not, you don't know what it means. Um, it's Latin for Anno Domini. And Anno Domini means the year of our Lord. Do you realize the calendar that we go by <laughs> begins with Jesus? You realize that? I mean, we, we say it's a secular calendar. Well, of course, there is no such thing as secular, but it, yes, it is. Atheists use it. E even other religions use it. That we say it's 2021. Well, who said so? The world has been here a lot longer than 2021, yet we date from a mere 2,021 years ago. A.D., the year of our Lord. We have said, I don't know if this is affecting you. This, to me, is massive. It says to governments and to peoples, whoever you are, businesses, we date life from the coming of Jesus. This is the year of our Lord. And everything before that, we said B.C., which we before Christ, because that's changed around the world, but... Um, it means that in the coming of Jesus, there was such a radical change, so radical, they said, we've got to change the calendar. What Jesus 
did, who he was, brought like an axe down in the middle of history and suddenly everything before that was, well, it was before that, B.C. But now we've come to something we can never connect the two. We can never say this is but just a continuation and in the middle of history he came and, no, we stop history. And we say from here on out, we date everything from his birth. Wouldn't that suggest that the years, 2021, wouldn't it suggest anyway that it's Kainos? That new year means this is part of something so new we had to change the calendar. That's fact. It's utterly, Jesus brought something so utterly, utterly different, other, that even governments have to recognize and say, we changed the calendar. This is so unlike anything that has ever gone before. Huh. That's new. See, that's Kainos. That, that's not saying, well, Jesus gave us a first start. Uh-uh-uh. Oh, no. In fact, he took the human race as it was and in himself carried it to death. He said, there's nothing we can do with it. Bring it to death and then rise again as a new humanity. And actually, you're saying that every time you give a date. You're saying that. Huh. And as to resolutions, it brings us face to face with the fact that we don't make resolutions. Now, I know if, if you are a religious person and, and you are very welcome here, I'm not, I, I include you totally, but a religious person would be very upset with that because religion hinges on decision. It's a big word in evangelical Christianity. Made your decision for Christ. Um, decision magazine, it's big word. But you see this, the first step of understanding the newness of this is there are no resolutions. And I almost have to apologize because that leaves people with a, a sinking feeling, almost a free fall. Well, what do we do then if there's no decisions? Well, let me introduce you to where the decision is. The newness is that we are living by the decision, the resolution that Father and Son and Holy Spirit made about us. Did you follow that? It's not that I made a decision for Christ. It is that he made a decision about me. And that before time, before creation, the decision of God, which is documented all through the New Testament, the decision of God was that you would be placed into vital, dynamic union with Christ so that you would live, yet not you, it would be Christ living in you. God determined that. Your, your, what we call decision for Christ, which is okay, I, I really know what you're getting at, but 
I'm just saying it's not in the scripture. What we're really doing, we are accepting our already acceptance. Do you follow me? He's already accepted us before we were born. He, He created us. He gave us existence in order to become part of this incredible newness. And our, what we call, decision for Christ is really saying yes to, I I accept my acceptance. I finally yield to the fact I am loved. Uh, I, I am responding to that which is, not to make something happen. It already is. The decision of the Holy Trinity to include you, me, us, the human race, to include us inside their circle of love. And they decided that before we were born. And so the new is not something that begins with me. All New Year resolutions begin with me. I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. I look in the Bible and I don't like me what I see there. And I don't like me. I don't like me. And so now I, I, I am going to determine that I am going to be different. No, I'll ask Jesus for help. I forgot that. Yeah, you better ask him for help. But it's you. It's you working. Whereas the new says, relax. You are accepted. You are beloved. And Christ himself dwells within you. He's not merely an historical figure. He is not simply the person who lived the wondrous life. He actually, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. That's a turning of the whole thing on its head. It's not me here making resolutions. I'm going to be like him over there. It's him over there, not being over there, but being in here. What would Jesus do? I don't know, but I can say, what are you doing? He's in me. He's my life. That's the newness. It's the newness. And so the newness is that I awaken. I wake as if from a great darkness, a great sleep of death indeed. And I wake up and I realize it is so. I don't have to do something to make it happen. I wake up to realize it's happening. The dance is already in progress and I find my waking up in the middle of the dance floor. Get with it. It's it's here. It's now. I don't have to do something to get there. I'm awakened to realize I'm there. I was put there before I was born. Now that sounds like good news, gospel. Because the gospel I was under Neos is the gospel. Well, it isn't good news at all. It says, you're no good. I'm ashamed of you. But if you do this, you might make it. And if you don't, you'll be damned in hell. Oh, great. That's made me excited. Yeah. That's not good news. The good news is that God initiated this. He started it. And he started it because he loved us. And Jesus in his incarnation is coming, becoming one of us. In order to put his arms around us and 
carry us into his death and then raise us with his resurrection and we're we're new and as I say we wake up to that I've been around I've been around church I've been preaching in church for almost 70 years I know a thing or two this I you know I didn't read this in a book what we call the gospel appeal. And of course, many of us, probably most of us, this is how we came in. And see the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love us so much. If we came in through a back window, it's okay. He still takes us and puts us down in the plush sofa and says, now let's talk. Uh, it, uh, we came in in many different ways. So don't get condemned and don't get upset. I'm just showing you what the scripture says. That many times, if not always, the gospel appeal is put to us the same way as a New Year's resolution. And if it isn't put to us that way, 90% of the people who go forward to say the sinner's prayer, that's how they're thinking of it. That now I'm going to get rid of this. Now I'm going to be free from that. It's it's sort of a chance at a new tribe, but now you're sponsored by Jesus because, you know, it's going to work. No, the gospel is the announcement of what God has intended and what God has done in Jesus Christ and what he's doing through the Holy Spirit. And he initiated, he did it, and he's doing it without our permission. Fabulous. I don't have to get God's attention. Now that's new. Every other religion, every movement of religion is to get God's attention, to tell him how bad we are, tell him how rotten to the core we are, and that somehow pleases him. And no, in this, no, I don't. I don't. He's got to get my attention. I'm not getting his He's the one by my bed of life who's shaking me gently to say, wake up, wake up. You'll never dream what I've got for you. I don't have to get God's attention. I wake up to see the, the wonder of this new. But Okay, think about this. There is only, really think about this. There's only one new Kanos man. Think about that. There's only one. The Father, Son. One. One Son. So if I'm going to become new, then I must be united to the only one who is new. It is not something that arises from me. It is that I am united with the one who is new. And I participate in him. I partake of him. And for me to live is him. Oh, just a minute. Didn't I tell you? You were placed in him before you were born. So this isn't something you've got to do. And again, speaking from my decades of being around this, I have sat with pastors, pastors, 
and we have debated for hours on how do you get into Christ? How do you get into Christ? I remember one long discussion about John 15, the vine and the branches, and they said, we understand the vine, but how do I become a branch? Have you noticed Jesus never bothers to talk about that? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Oh, how do I get there? Well, you're there, man, you're there. How do you get into Christ? 1 Corinthians 1 says that the Father put you in Christ before you were born. Again, I say we wake up to that and realize that I've been living all my life with my eyes closed to the source of life and newness within me. And now he opens my eyes and I realize I have been beloved. I've been accepted. I have been in Christ since birth. Now, again, that that sounds like good news. It's taking, again, there's no ought, is there? I don't sit there and say, well, you should, you must. I come back and say, have you heard the news? Well, that sounds more like good news. News is the report on something that has happened and currently is. That's news. The news is not a list of suggestions to make something happen. They call that propaganda. No, the news is, have you heard the news? Something's happened. Something's happened and you didn't know about it. Well, let me tell you, have you heard the news? And then I believe the news because the news itself gives me the faith to believe it. I would never have had faith to believe it until I heard it. And when I heard it, it came with such power that, I realize that I'm trusting this. It's a gift that comes with it. Have you heard the news? You are in Christ. Have you heard the news? The Holy Spirit is in the process of waking you up to realize that. Have you heard the news? You have been loved since before you were born. Have you heard the news? He knew your name before you were born. You're special. You're unique. This isn't Neos. We're not a blind person in the darkness who's struggling to try and please God because they haven't heard the news. No, that's Neos. We try again. Kenos says, relax. This is newness as you've never dreamt it. And it all comes through this one new man. Um... See, let me expand on that. There's only one agape, one love. So I will never love unless I'm united with that love. There's only one peace. There's only one joy. There's only one wisdom. There's only one strength. There's only one purity. It's not something I've got to do over here and compare it with that over there, try and be like that. No. It is God says, I put you inside of that. And now Christ, love, joy, peace dwells within you and you dwell there. Wake up. But to wake up to that, you've got to trash. And I mean that word as strongly as I said it. Trash. And I say again something strong. The filthy religion 
that keeps you coming back every week to try again with a New Year's resolution. And there's no, there's no middle ground here, you see. Some pastors come and say, well, I like what you're saying. I want to take a bit of what you're saying and add to what I'm saying. I said, you can't do that. The house that you're building is already condemned. You can't put on a new roof. It's going to condemn the jolly thing and start again from a new foundation that God is love, that he's not against us. He's not hard to get. He's not some remote, faceless thing that you've got to try and get his attention. But he has come to us in Jesus Christ, joined himself to us, and now lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. This is good news. And so the Kanos year, the new year, does not begin with resolution. And I mean, you, yeah, you could resolve to go to the gym, but don't don't get too excited about that. Um, you can resolve a lot of those little things if you want to. But really, the whole tenor of life begins to change when you realize what I'm saying. The kainos, the new year says, it is done. It is finished. You are there. So open your eyes and rest, rest, rest into the fact there's nothing more to be done. There's no more resolutions. There's no more promises. There's no more goal to achieve. You're there. It isn't I'm trying to get to the house on top of the mountain. Wake up. You're in the house. Look out the window and see the mountains down, not up. You're there. You've arrived. How did I get here? Through the one person. The only person who can get there, and that was Jesus, the one new man. And you in him, he took you with him. And you wake up to realize it. So then what is the new? We just sit here like blobs and say, well, it's new. No, it's going to take you every month of this year to wake up and wake up and wake up and wake up. You didn't know how deep asleep you were. We're Wake up. Or the word that dominates the New Testament is revelation. Revelation is seeing with eyes inside you being opened by the Holy Spirit to see truth, to see reality. And that really never ends. In the Old Testament, which of course was completely neos, they were always, every year, Day of Atonement, every year they're trying to start all over again. Um, and Isaiah the prophet came along and said, do you know what's coming? <laughs> he says, you don't have a clue where we're going. And he, and he said in Isaiah, what is it, 60 or something, he says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has never been understood by your senses you, you, you've never imagined this in your wildest dreams, what God has prepared. And there it hung. And when Jesus came, and the Holy Spirit of Jesus came to dwell within us, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 2, he quotes Isaiah. And he says, it is written, I has not seen. 
ear has not heard. It's never entered into your imagination what God has prepared. Only he adds then to what Isaiah said. He said, but that might have been true. I not seen, ear not heard, never entered into your mind. That might have been true for Isaiah and everybody that followed him. But now, you read it, 1 Corinthians 2, he says, but now the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us. Our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. We're there. That, that's the good news, you see. Of course, that, I, I suppose you could say, New, in this sense, new year, if you want to take it there, doesn't call for new resolutions. This is the ultimate metanoia. You know, that's the word we use for repentance. Um, Metanoia means that radical mind change that overturns everything you've been thinking for a new, there it goes again, a new mind, a new way of looking at things and so it's a repentance if you want to use that word it is that I say everything I used to believe about beginnings and trying and rededication and I promise you God I'll never do that and I mean I'm feeling kind of fervent this morning you got to get it this is not just uh, you know stroke the lion's head No, this is to recognize the new that came in Jesus cut history in two and said everything before is before him. And it was was struggling, it was looking, it was searching. It was always trying to do it better, trying to do it better. When Jesus came, it's so new we don't have to struggle to do it better we've arrived we don't make a resolution to get somewhere we stand back and say we're there but it's going to take me all year to discover the new that i've arrived in and it'd be the same as if you were dumped into the middle of the garden of eden how long would it take you to find out what you'd been let loose in you've been let loose in new then our life becomes now not a struggle to get somewhere, but a discovery of where we are. That's new. And um, and so, Jesus became one of us in order to show us what we were created to be. Did you hear me on that? God became human in order to show us what human was always meant to be. It takes God to be human. For having shown us, he himself becomes the true man inside of us. And so he has. He's Okay, the gospel is not a moral makeover. You don't come to some religious beauty shop and get your face and hair done and which of course will fall off on anyway but it's not a makeover it is a relationship in which two become one without ever losing themselves in each other and so jesus has become 
Malcolm. Jesus has become Jennifer. Become it. But he didn't lose himself inside me. I have become, in fact, Christ in me. Christ is my life. But I didn't lose myself. I'm still Malcolm with all my quirks and Malcolm. But Malcolm now united with Christ. Christ united with Malcolm. That is who I am. Not trying to be. I am. We've arrived. That's the way it is. It's not an improvement. It's a radical relationship in which he takes all that I am and gives me all that I, all he is. This is so new. That's why we call it the Old Testament. Please. I, I don't know how you look at the Old Testament. The way I hear, especially some things that have been said in the last couple of months, that the Old Testament is, is where we live. No. Do you realize that? That just shocked you. We don't live in the Old Testament. It's more than interesting. It is what God was doing in preparing the world for where we are right now. But it's old. Jesus said something. I don't think we've ever fathomed what he said. In Matthew 11, he said, hear me carefully. Jesus said, no one. That's a big phrase. No one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Did you hear what I said? Or what he said? That's... I, I mean, he has simply, in one sentence, said that everything from Genesis to Malachi, they didn't know the Father. Do, do you hear me? Do, he, yes, wow. He, he was saying, Moses didn't know me. He knew about me. He knew more about me probably than anybody. But he said, no one, no one was inside the Father to know his thoughts and his heart. And no one was inside of me to know me. Oh, uh, but I didn't finish it. He said, no one knows the Father except the Son. And those that he will show the Father to. So he said, I am bringing the knowledge of the Father. That is, I am out from God. Jesus didn't come from alongside of God the Father. He is God from God. All the Father is, Jesus is. He came to us out from God. So he's the only one that can tell us what the heart of God looks like, who God really is. And he said, I, I've come, but I haven't just come to tell you about it and then say goodbye, hope you enjoyed the lecture. No, he said, I've come not only to reveal who the Father is, but I have come to share that with you so that you will know in your experience who God the Father really is and who I really am. It's gonna, no wonder, he said. Elijah didn't know me like that. 
Isaiah didn't know me like that. It says in Peter that the prophets, they had what they had, but they, they looked at it and wondered what on earth he was talking about. You read that? Have you ever read in Hebrews 1 where it says the prophets of the Old Testament, they had words, words that were just bits and pieces of the revelation and they didn't know how to fit it together. But Jesus didn't come with words. He is the word. He said, I'm the one they're all trying to talk about. And he says, Luke 24, the entire Old Testament is about me. You get the newness of this. So you don't go back and grovel in the Old Testament. I, I, I get, what do you call them? I suppose daily devotionals sort of thing. I get them just to see what people are saying. I, I never like to think what they're saying. I want to be able to quote them. And, and there's this one, and I've had it now for 12 months. Do you know, they've never gone into the New Testament yet. Their entire daily devotional is out of the Old Testament. Why? I'm not against the Old Testament. As long as you begin with the New Testament and carry what you've discovered in the New Testament back there into the Old and realize now it all fits together. But you can't, you can't quote verses from the Old Testament without realizing, you know. I, w- I want to say to some people who are, I want to say, have you ever heard Jesus has come? You ever heard that? What a novel idea. They said, well, there are Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments? Look, uh, have you noticed, have you noticed how many times the new word appears in the New Testament? The new kainos, you know. This new that makes everything else suddenly old, decrepit. New covenant. Do you remember new creation? Well, that covers the Old Testament. It goes back to Genesis creation, goes back to the law, the covenant of Moses, and said, oh, this is new. And in Hebrews it says, the old is now ready to be torn up and thrown away. It's new mankind. Well, in what Revelation says, the new, they sang a new song. A song that had never been sung before because they'd never seen the heart of God. They'd never danced in the love of God. This is a new song. It says you've got a new name, a new identity. It speaks of a new temple, of course. (laughs) Boy, but that's upsetting. I mean, that means the temple in Jerusalem is finished. Over. We don't need a temple anymore. Temples are where they put gods. Well, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What a thought. And then it says you'll have a new heart and a new spirit. It says there'll never be a remembrance of sin anymore. And my religious friends don't know what to do with that, so they say, well, that's in the millennium. Oh, Lord. Is that the best you can do? To cancel out the finished work of Christ? 
No, there's no more sacrifices. Never will be. If there are sacrifices ever again in Jerusalem, it will be the greatest act of blasphemy committed on the planet. It says we have, we have, we have come to the new Jerusalem. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice of the new covenant. I hope you get the idea. This, you didn't sign up for a religious club. Your eyes have begun to be opened to a totally new creation, a new world, a new human race. New, new, new. So we are in a world which has no temple. Sorry. I mean, this is not this. Where we're sitting now is not the house of God. That's Old Testament. That when they had a house to put God in. This is not the house of God. You guys are the house of God. For now the spirit dwells in us. You guys are the, the temple of God. That's new. So where we meet doesn't really matter. Any old place will do. You can be on Zoom in your kitchen. Or we can be here. We are the temple of the living God. Well, I could talk a lot about this. But um, let me just put this because I, I know I know some people think what what do you do now? Let's and I'm I'm almost done. I'm landing my plane, but I'm giving you a parachute anyway. But <laughs> what do you do? And I'm I know I, I'm I'm looking at your faces especially. Um, most of you guys here have been with me long enough to know the answer to the question but I know there are people who are looking at their behavior and in looking at their behavior they are in despair when you hear me say what I've just said that if Christ is in you if there's no goal to reach because you're there then what about my behavior? Look at the way I'm living. You call that Christ in you? That is where the thinking comes. I've got to do something to get into Christ when hopefully all this behavior will start. And, and I couldn't finish this. How, how, how does this kainos work? We know how neos works. But how does kainos work? Number one, boy, I'm going to give, I'm not going to give a formula. God help us. Um, no, I'm not going to give a formula. I'm going to give you pointers. That number one, you've got to settle into the fundamental, basic fact of the gospel, which is that you were included into Jesus Christ before you were born. There is no human being that is not united with Christ. I, I could, if we had another half an hour, I, I could say that Jesus, let, let's go back, just one quick step back. Jesus is the creator. And, and there's, if you doubt that, Colossians chapter 1, um, Hebrews chapter 1, um, uh, other, uh, well, John chapter 1, they always speak of Jesus. Without him there was not anything made that was made. He's the creator. Can, can we agree on that? 
He, he is your creator. You're not here by chance. You're, you're not the product of luck. You, you are here by the, the intentional act of God who created you in your mother's womb. You were created. Well, it says, and this is what many people don't read, that he didn't only create us, but he's the glue who holds us together. Or as it says, Colossians 1.15, that he in him all things consist or hold together. Well, that means that quite apart from anything we've been talking about, just basically you as a creature, you as one that God brought forth, you are the miraculous person you are because he continues to hold you together. That's why you are a trillion steps beyond the highest ape. That's why, well, I don't, I don't want to get off on this. I think what we've got to realize, creation was, poof, you're here, now let's get on with something else. No, when he said you're here, he came and joined himself so you'd keep on being here. And, and he, he holds us together. Well, that means then every one of us comes into this world in a very vital relationship to Jesus. We wouldn't be here apart from him. To get that? So to take that one step further, that it was determined before you were born that those that he created and those that he's in, he would come and actually become one of us so that in-ness was carried to its ultimate. Can, can I really... I wish I could look you in the eye. This is so important. It's basic. You can't move beyond this. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That's basic. You are beloved of the Father. You don't do anything to achieve it. Which means that when God, the Son, Christ, became flesh... He embraced you and your history is that you included in his death. You were included in his burial. And you were included when he rose again to the Father and he carried us with him. That's basic. And when he did that, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he said he poured out his Spirit upon all flesh. Now, I was raised to believe he only poured out his spirit, not only on believers. Then, No, you've got to be better than that. You, you had to be the super Christians who were totally dedicated um, before the spirit would even show up. The Bible says he poured out his spirit on all of us. I'm talking fact. I'm not talking your feelings. I'm talking fact. You were included. So then all these thoughts that we have uh, that are unlove thoughts, self-for-myself thoughts, all those actions, those habits that are anything but a reflection of Christ, where do they come from? They come from the darkness that came upon us through the great lie that Satan infused into the human race. 
But it's a darkness that means I can't see myself, I can't see God, I don't know who God is, therefore I don't know who I am. And I live by the rules of the darkness. And in that darkness we picked up habits that are still clinging to our flesh. And we picked up a way of life that now is in itself a habit. This is the way we do it. But it hasn't changed who we are. Look, Jesus said, Luke 15, that a sheep goes astray and the shepherd, listen to me, this is Jesus speaking. He said in that parable, the shepherd said, I will find my, my lost sheep, my sheep, my sheep, my sheep. My. Listen to me, no, no, no. Can't be your sheep. It went astray. And once it goes astray, well, it's got a free will, hasn't it? It's, it's saying goodbye to you. It doesn't want you anymore. So it goes astray. No. The shepherd says, I don't care what the sheep says. Sheep might say, I'm leaving. Shepherd says, you're mine. Mine. When that shepherd went out, he wasn't going to look for a wild sheep. He was not a hunter. He was a seeker. He was seeking that which was his. And he found it and says, you're my sheep. I have found my sheep, which was lost. You can't get rid of God just by believing you don't believe in him. I mean, that's ridiculous. The woman loses the coin. What did she say? My coin. And she's going to search for my coin. Rejoice with me. I found my, my coin. Never stopped being her coin. It's no longer in the currency of her life. Oh, but just a minute. It's still worse what it was when it got lost. You ever thought about that? If you lose a hundred dollar bill it doesn't suddenly become a piece of paper. It's a hundred dollars that you lost and are looking for. Just because darkness is upon a person, lies have blinded them. The ideas of Satan dominate their head. It doesn't mean they've stopped being beloved of God. What kind of God do you worship? I'm serious. When your child does something wrong, do you stop loving the child? God pursued us because he loves us and he loves us when we're doing the worst we could do because he says, you don't know what you're doing. Jesus said that. You don't know what you're doing. You're ignorant, says the many scriptures, because you're blind, you're in the dark. You are still the person God created. You're still the good one that he loves and will never let you go and pursue you. That, that's basic. When, when the sons in that series of parables, the sons, you know, well, the son goes into the far country. Well, I've just said it, didn't I? The son went into the far country. Huh. He didn't stop being his father's son. He's acting like an idiot, but he doesn't. And when he comes home in his twisted mind he is no longer the son he said i'm no longer worthy to be called your son because he saw being the son attached to behavior and the father says don't be daft and he reaches out crushes him in a bear hug and says you are my son well god isn't supposed to do that according to my evangelical friends he's supposed to say you're damned in hell unless you say this prayer after me 
No, God says, shut up, kid. Shut up. You're my son. You were dead for sure, but you're alive again. You're lost, but you're down. Now let's get to the party. Is that the gospel you've been taught? It's one Jesus preached. So can we get that straight? That's who you are. You are not who you are by your behavior. You are who you are because God has placed you in Christ. I couldn't be more serious. It's who you are. Christ is your life. And you live by his faith, fellowship with the Father. So when you look at your life, do not own it as yours. You are not the foolish person you say you are. Stop saying that. Stop giving yourself a false identity. It's not that. Yes, you said it. I know you said it. You did it. I know you did it. But it's not your essential self. Christ is your wisdom. Christ is your love. Christ is your purity. Now start telling yourself the truth. That is your name. Your name is beloved. Your name is lover. Your name is pure. Your name is wise. Your name is strong. That's who I am. As surely as a toddler falls over, they get up because falling over is not where they live. That's not who they are. They're humans who walk on two legs and we pick them up and we brush them off. We don't condemn them for it. We just say, you're learning, you're learning. And all I can tell you, because I've gone hopelessly over time now, um, that as you confess concerning yourself who God says you are, that you are Christ in you. That is the truth. And therefore what I've done, I've done it. It contradicts my essential self. That is, I did something that isn't me. And you will find the truth will set you free. You find, you see you're speaking truth. This isn't positive thinking, hoping you'll get there. No, you're saying this is where I am. And that is reality. And what I just did essentially is unreality. I know I did it, but it's not, it's not who I am. And it will fade out of your life and increasingly be replaced with the love that Christ in you truly is. So forgive me for going over time again, but I had to say that lest any of you should be left in despair. Father, we thank you for the reality of these words. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have spoken in our hearts and opened our eyes even as these words have been proclaimed. And so to that end, I declare the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that our eyes shall continue to be opened and our walk shall rise to be newness of life in Christ Jesus. So I bless you, and that is the way it is. Amen.